hppodcraft.com. Miss Emily Rhodes had been in London a little more than a year when she decided to give up her apartment and rent a house. The apartment was really quite comfortable, but as Miss Rhodes put it, she was tired of having her paints and easel next to her teacups. Accordingly, she turned to the advertisements in the Times. In April, she found what she was looking for. The advertisement read, To Let, near Knightsbridge Station. Two stories, 12 rooms, including conservatory and AQ. Completely furnished, Longway and Longway agents. She read the advertisement a second time. The conservatory she could turn into a studio and sounded ideal. But what in the world was an AQ? Air quality, adventure quest. AQ is the top level domain for Antarctica. So maybe it's letting you know the conservatory is also a portal to the South Pole. Could be. That could be a thing in that house. Those are the opening paragraphs of The Aquarium by Carl Jacoby. This month, the series Lovecraft Country is premiering on HBO. It's based on the book by Matt Ruff, and we're very excited about it. So we're doing our own Lovecraft Country month in honor of that show. And Mm. in honor of uh, our show, really, since we've been around longer and uh, we don't have a dirty word in our title, like they do. (laughs) But we're going to be doing Lovecraft-adjacent material all month. This one is from the anthology Tales of the Lovecraft Mythos, edited by Robert Price, mm-hmm. which you can grab for pretty cheap in Kindle format or in paperback, I believe. Mm-hmm. Last year this time, I was actually in Atlanta shooting the time capsule, and some of our crew members were also working on Lovecraft Country. Those crew members told me that it's very good. Mm-hmm. That was the internal scoop. So according to the people who stand to profit from the show, it's a, it's a great show. <laughs> and I I'm believe sure they're it. not biased at all. Yeah. Speaking of good, I want to thank everybody who bought a copy of Monster Classics by Pitch Black Manor when it came out last week. The album is still available on Bandcamp for seven bucks, or you can treat yourself and get the special edition Haunted House figurine version of the album from Crypto Curium. You know, I've been a fan of Crypto Curium for a while. Yeah, hell yeah. Ever since I got that Cthulhu Idol from Jason at Necronomicon. You got one of those too, right? I do. I'm looking right at it. It's right yeah. there. It's so cool. It's a little figurine. It's Lovecraft's Cthulhu design. Jason McKittrick is the artist behind Crypto Curium. He's really talented, and it's been so awesome to get to work with him. If you don't know, Crypto Curium is a New Jersey-based maker of handmade horrors, ranging from Lovecraft, slasher flicks, Halloween to cryptozoology. We've mentioned them plenty of times on the show. They've sponsored us before, but I just want to take a minute to to lean on our listeners a little bit. Go buy stuff from Crypto Curium. Mm-hmm. The Lovecraft stuff is amazing. They've got cultist medallions, an idol of Yogg Sothoth. There's an idol of Yig, which is super mm-hmm. rad. Relics from Antarctica. That amulet from the Hound. Yes, you can actually buy that. Uh, it's all handmade quality stuff. And Halloween is coming up. Shipping's a little slow right now, so I'm saying get in there, buy it up now. And I'm into all the Halloween and movie stuff that he's got there as well. There's a little toy leprechaun from that movie. (laughs) And uh, there's this really cool two-pack from The Thing where it's the little McCready and the monster. I also love my wife, Heather Clanky. And unfortunately, she's all sold out. I got the only one of those. Yep. And she's our reader today. Ooh. (laughs) Now, we've never done a story by Jacoby before, so let's have a little bio, shall Uh, we? Actually, we did do a story from him. We did? Well... He was a co-author on The Street That Wasn't There with Clifford oh, Simak, who right. generally is cited as the author of that story. But, uh, right. but Jacoby had a byline on that one, too. We covered him a little bit on that one, but mostly we talked about the relationship between those two writers. So uh, we still need some background on him. What do we sure. got? He was born Carl Richard Jacoby in 1908, Minneapolis. He attended University of Minnesota from 1927 to 1930, majoring in English literature. He was classmates and pals with Donald Wandry. That's how we get him into the big circle here. Mm. 
In the 1920s, he was published with Weird Tales and Amazing Stories. In 1931, he became a reporter for the Minnesota Quarterly and the Minneapolis Star. He met Derelith in January of 1931 when Derelith came to Minneapolis to visit Laundry, and they became friends, but mostly just correspondence friends. I think they only mm-hmm. met once again or maybe twice again in their lives in person. And this is a quote here about Jacoby from writer Jack Adrian. Are we ready to roll on this? <clears throat> All right, here we go. In the depression years of the early 1930s, the pulp writer needed as formidable a creative armory as possible, along with a certain amount of luck and cunning to crack even the lowest paying markets. Jacoby had a useful knack for dreaming up memorable milieu against which to set his tales, in bizarre situations that stayed in the mind long after the magazine the story itself was in had been finished and tossed away. He may have been the only writer ever to have a story firmly rejected by the redoubtable Weird Tales editor Farnsworth Wright, only to have Wright, weeks later, begging for the story back because an incident in it had stuck in his mind. This was Revelations in Black, a chilling and much-reprinted vampire tale set in an old stone farmhouse outside of Minneapolis. Jacoby had driven past one night, the house's eerie, statue-lined garden, as seen by brilliant moonlight, had caught his eye and his imagination. He continued to write for anthologies and for the pulps. In the 1940s and 50s, he became an editor of Midwest Media, an advertising and radio trade journal, still did some reporting for the Minneapolis Star. He sold stories to Weird Tales up through the 50s until the pulp market really kind of ended. Yeah. He got a day job at this place called Honeywell, which he uh, was... Which was defense plants? Yeah, Honeywell's still around. That's it. It's funny you say this place called Honeywell. That's a big. Is it still around? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he was an electronics inspector, uh, and that gave him less time to write. That became his day job. So he was really just doing the nine to five. I think he had even said he was working seven days a week at one point. Oh wow! In 1972, Arkham House published his third collection, Disclosures in Scarlet. He was part of the convention scene in the 1970s and 80s, and he passed away in Minnesota in 1997. This story, The Aquarium, was first published in the anthology Dark Mind, Dark Heart in 1962 by Arkham House. Dark minds, dark hearts, can't lose. Let's get into it. The story begins with this artist, a woman named Emily Rhodes, who lives in a flat in London but needs more space to work. And she must have some money. Uh, well, yeah. Can you can you imagine? Oh, I think I need a little more space. I, I guess I'll move to a house. Like that being the motivator <laughs> in London. But we we don't really know her true reasons. That paragraph is this, this story is interesting on this subject because the, it creates a little distance in the paragraph when it says, "As Miss Rhodes put it, she was tired of having her paints and easel next to her teacups." So that's the reason she's giving. Mm-hmm. Makes that kind of clear. She finds this ad for a place in Knightsbridge, which is still in London, for a big house with lots of room. Twelve rooms. Yeah. In two stories. That's huge. That's big. You could fit all of the Bradys in there, even Alice and Sam the Butcher, all with their own bedrooms. (laughs) You'd still have two bathrooms. True. If everybody agreed to keep a bucket in the room, then you could have a screening room and a beat lab. That's, yeah. If you got rid of the bathrooms, think about that. I have thought about it. It is brilliant. Yeah. She's curious about what this AQ means in the ad. She finds out that it means aquarium, and it's big. The house and the aquarium are big. But she decides, well, whatever, I still want to check this place out. They give a little description of Miss Rhodes, saying that she's 32 years old, tall and angular, which I guess is thin, 
with long black hair. Well, angular just means that she's in that family of people that Picasso used to paint. They all actually look like that. <laughs> Not a lot of people are aware. I actually I went to a Picasso exhibit and they had this painting, The Weeping Woman, there. Very weird painting of a woman's face, all crazy angles. And there was a little Polaroid clip to the top. I guess mm-hmm. Picasso forgot to you know, take it off of the canvas. Oh, no. Yeah, nobody else noticed, but I went and I uncurled the photo. It was from life. <laughs> so now you know why I can't use a hair pick anymore. It reminds yeah. me of Picasso. Of course. Can't read Pickman's model either. Can't look at cubes of any kind. Somebody showed me a Rubik's cube and I wrecked me. There's another distancing thing that happens in the text here. It says, a tall, angular woman with black hair and metal gray eyes. She had never married for the simple reason that her painting had occupied too much of her time. Which is totally reasonable, but it's Mm -hmm. good writing because it sounds a little annoyed for the simple reason. So this is clearly something she's had to answer a lot. Yeah. Gives you information. She has a look at the place. It's huge. Twelve rooms. A big honking aquarium in the library. And it's all old and gross. Like, the aquarium has not been cleaned. Yeah. And the house also needs a bunch of work. She haggles and finally agrees to sign the lease. You know, I'm friends with a guy who is a... He's like the fish guy in uh, West L.A. here. He does mm-hmm. aquariums for all the celebrities and stuff. He does Charlie Sheen's aquarium. <laughs> and I, I'm like, you gotta have some insane... I just, for some reason, you would think the aquarium guy. But no, he just says, no, totally nice guy, loves his fish. <laughs> I mean, it's just to, to know a guy who is Charlie Sheen's fish guy and then not get a story out of that. I'm kind of I don't even talk to him anymore. I was so mad that there was no story. Well, he's just a nice guy who loves his fish. He's a nice guy who loves fish. Yeah. I thought they'd be coked up fish at least or something. Dude, you can still be high on cocaine and love your fish. That's true. Miss <laughs> Rhodes has all of her stuff moved over to the new place and she invites her friend Edith to move in. To keep her company, obviously it's huge and having the whole place to herself is ridiculous. Now, Edith lives in Bristol and has always meant to move to London. And now Miss Rhodes says, you got no excuse, baby. I think they're a gay couple. Mm. Just because this seems flimsy to me, too. It's There was that distancing earlier in the way that this was stated. And then why wouldn't she consult the roommate before she rented the house? Hmm. It seems to me that they decided a while ago to live together, but had to construct things in a certain way so as to make it seem almost like a matter of convenience. Like, ah, geez, now that I've moved into the 12-room mansion, I guess this is a lot of space for one person, you know? It could be. Didn't my friend say something about wanting to move to London? Maybe I'll get her a... Maybe I'll write her a letter immediately after I move in, you know? It just Or it could be exactly what it appears to be absolutely. on the surface. Could totally be what it is on the surface. It doesn't really matter either way. I just thought that it was an interesting way to describe it. To me, it feels more like there was a friend that says, oh, yeah, I'm going to move. I'm going to move out. To, you know, like we had friends that sure. said they were going to move out to L.A. and they never did. You go, hey, I actually, I have space for you. So if you make that decision, you can be here now. And it's like, now I've got space. You can live here for free. you got no yeah. excuse. Which I felt like that was more of that type of situation. Well, it was for you, but I had an affair with every single one of those people. Oh, my God. Yeah. That explains a lot. So we're just bringing our own experience to it. Yeah. <laughs> that really doesn't matter. It was just, it, you know, I've, those are things that you couldn't have stated explicitly at the time that this was no, of course written. Not. And so sometimes I just feel like it's. No, it could be read that way for sure. And also it could be read that she's just in a modern woman who doesn't need a man in her life, but yeah. isn't necessarily gay. Absolutely. So in April, Edith moves in with her Siamese cat named Kuching. 
this cat has four kittens. Yes, and it says she's prematurely gray, so you notice that she's probably seen some monsters as well. <laughs> or she went to a Picasso exhibit because that's what oh, set me right, down yeah. my path. Yeah, I was. Yeah, uh, could be. I had jet black hair before I saw that. <laughs> Edith loves this place, but she's tripped up by this giant rancid aquarium. The drains on it are stuck and won't open up, and there's also a hatch on top of it, but that's busted. Miss Rhodes says that she's going to have some guys come over to fix the drains. They can drain it and do it up properly and fix the hatch. It says Miss Rhodes led the way forward like an unwilling museum guard asked to describe an unpleasant picture. That's a reference to Picasso, I think. (laughs) Miss Rhodes explained that the house belonged to a conchologist which is a collector of shells. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, is this a thing? But it yeah. is. Conchology is the study of mollusk shells. Mm-hmm. Malacology is the study of mollusks as whole organisms, whereas conchology is confined to the study of their shells. Yeah, it's fashion for fishes. Like, I don't really care about these organisms. I just like their clothes. Makes sense. A lot of different academic types on here, but yet we have nobody that is an expert in vibology. <laughs> and I still hold out hope. Someday. What was weird is when I looked that up, conchologist, because I thought the same thing. I don't know if this is real, but I found this whole article about how sometimes it's it's been relevant lately because sometimes people will find shells on the beach and take them home. Mm-hmm. I've done it. Yeah. But there's this new thing where thieves are hiding in the shells. And when <laughs> then they get out at night, rob your whole house. It's a scam. Right. People were getting wise to the suit of armor on the beach. Scam, yeah. Probably because they heard about it on this show. I'm thinking, yeah. So we crime-fighted that technique out of existence. But then the thieves thought, well, fish wear armor too. After a week of living there, the women are visited by their neighbor, a middle-aged man called Lucius. For me, I read middle-aged man, I thought like an old guy, gray hair. And then I realized, oh yeah, I'm middle-aged. I'm a middle-aged man. So this guy is like my age. Or younger. Oh, God. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Anyway, Bates has brought over Edith's cat, which had been stuck up on his roof. Right. He notices that they still have the aquarium, which he doesn't seem to like. The previous owner, Horatio Lear, had installed it. Uh, He's the conchologist, but now they're getting his actual name. He was just referred to as the former tenant. So that rings a bell, I think, when they hear that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Horatio has a bit of notoriety, as Edith knows about him and his brother, Edmund. It says, is that the Lear who was famous for his deep sea work? Yes, in a diving bell. He explored the Sanarban Deep off the coast of Haiti. So this was some kind of sibling conchologist team. It's the two mm-hmm. guys, two brothers. Yeah. Lucian explains that they both lived in the house and had been quarreling for some time. Then Edmund just left one day. It reached a climax when Edmund publicly accused Horatio of falsifying reports as to the depths he had reached in the diving bell. Lucian says that Horatio had destroyed his shell collection and then had a heart attack trying to fit that cover in over the aquarium. Ironic, isn't it? He loved shells, and by the end, he was a shell of a man. <laughs> I think if Ed Wood were writing this, it would, yeah. there would be a little dialogue like that. Yeah. The next day, Miss Rhodes manages to drain the fish tank with the help of some guys. They come over and they repair all the stuff. The mm-hmm. bottom has this thick layer of grayish sand upon which the shells rest and are partially buried. While the tank is being refilled, Miss Rhodes finds some of Horatio's notes in his desk and reads them. She finds a chart labeled Caribbean Area Subdivision Sanarban Deep. Reading these notes on the discoveries of Horatio, Miss Rhodes finds him to be very intelligent. But then he started writing personal attacks on his brother in his scientific notes, which <laughs> made her not like him very much. 
It seems Horatio was angry that Edmund wouldn't accept some kind of theory he had come up with, but that theory isn't explained in the notes. This made her not like Horatio. It's it's so uncomfortable when somebody goes off about their family. Mm. Normally, when somebody's mad at somebody, I'm always I'll climb right in with them. Yeah, that guy, he's a jerk. You know, <laughs> whoever you don't like, I'm, I'm I hate him too. But if it's a spouse or a sibling or something, you got to oh, be so no. careful. No way. If somebody is bad talking their spouse, they're most likely not going to get divorced from them. Exactly. <laughs> I remember this when when people were dating back in the day before yes. everybody paired off. Like they would go, she would do some terrible, and you go, she's a, she's terrible. Don't. I never liked her. She's the worst. And then they get back together with her. And then you're oh, like, yeah. oh, damn. <laughs> you learn pretty quick just to keep your mouth shut about your opinions. That happened to Heather. We had a fight once and she was working with the, somebody and she came to work and was upset. And she's like, I never liked him. <laughs> and then we we made up like that night. <laughs> I was like, oh, I have some information now. Bad idea. So that night, Miss Rhodes is awakened from her sleep by the sound of a cat meowing. She goes down to the library and finds one of the kittens is missing. Edith soon comes down to check it out as well, and they look around and discover a small window open in the library up very high. Edith thinks that the cat may have escaped, but Miss Rhodes notes to herself that the window is too high. Although Edith is actually a little closer to the truth because she says Some, something must have come in here and carried it off. Miss Rhodes also finds a tuft of blood-clotted fur in one of the corners, but mm. she doesn't say anything to Edith about that either. Yeah. So the next day, trying to lighten the mood, Miss Rhodes convinces Edith to sit for a portrait. And during a break, Miss Rhodes notes the bizarre collection of books that Horatio has. They're a bunch of strange books. This is typical in these weird fiction stories. Yeah. Hydrophene by Gantley, Dwellers in the Depths. Gaston Le Fay wrote that, which yeah. must be a Gaston Le Roux <laughs> joke. And then uh, the, the German Unter sie Kulten. Yeah. Which sounds that is sounds like somebody just doing a wacky German accent. But I think, Unter, I think Unter Siekolten showed up in other other people's stories. So that's all right. Yeah, that's one that he created. But it's the books are all there. I mean, I knew that this house was furnished. It's crazy that he left all of his books behind. Yeah. So Miss Rhodes tries to explain. Uh, Miss Rhodes tries to paint Edith in front of the aquarium, but something about the colors and the lighting makes it almost impossible to paint. She's trying to keep the aquarium subdued. Edith insists on sitting in front of it. So she's just kind of trying to paint it out of the portrait, but somehow it keeps popping out and commanding equal attention to the subject. Mm. So it's a star. Two weeks go by and the portrait is done. Going outside, Miss Rhodes runs into Lucian again. He asks if she's gotten rid of the aquarium yet and mentions that Horatio was a bit of a nut. A bit touched. She asks, oh, how so? Well, for one thing... His pet theory about a form of undersea life. He had some wild idea that somewhere in the unplumbed ocean depths, there exists a highly developed kind of mollusk capable of emulating certain characteristics of those life forms it devours. That was his original theory. In later years, he apparently cloaked it with some pattern of demonology in what amounted to a modern adaptation of prehistoric superstition and folklore. He believed that these super-undersea species are the incarnation of those elder gods who ruled the Andalusian Deep and whose existence has been brought down to us in the dark myths and legends of a primitive past. That commanded by the great Cthulhu, they have lain dormant these eons in the sunken city of Flan 
awaiting the time they would rise again to feed and rule. He believed further that this metempsychosis of the Elder Gods carried with it a latent incredible power that if he could aid them to their destiny, some of that power would be transmitted to him. Oh, Horatio really went all out in this mystic falderall. I even overheard him promise his brother Edmund all kinds of maledictions if he continued to ridicule his beliefs. <laughs> so he drops all of that, and Miss Rhodes says, Curious, how old a man was Horatio? <laughs> so that's what she's that's what she's curious about, not who the f is Cthulhu, which is would be what I assume. I mean, that's a really crazy thing he laid out there. Yeah. And he just tosses it off like he's in a game store and everybody's going to know what he's talking about, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Metempsychosis, uh, eating flan or whatever. I, what's up with the sunken city of flan and Cedril Yeh? Where's that come from? I don't know. Well, Robert Price had this to say about the story in his forward to Tales of the Lovecraft Mythos, where we're pulling it from. Mm -hmm. Carl Jacoby's The Aquarium is another Durleth casualty. At Durleth's request, Jacoby wrote the tale for inclusion in Dark Mind, Dark Heart. But he wrote it with certain mythos references that Durleth promptly axed. Durleth had much more of a protective attitude towards things Lovecraftian than Lovecraft himself ever had. One may oh. only guess that Durleth did not care for Jacoby's independent variations on items of mythos lore and wanted to keep things orthodox. Hmm. Uh, the original version of the Aquarium appears here, so that's what we're reading. Uh, from it derives, as you will see, Brian Lumley's many later references to books of arcane sea bottom lore, such as Unterzee Colton, Jacoby's mad creations. So hmm. that shows up in Brian Lumley. Uh, and probably I would say this Valand stuff was cut out because it's not orthodox. Right. You know? I find that interesting. So he must have edited it and just cut anything that didn't fit in with the way he was trying to order yeah. things. Yeah. Also, this shape-shifting mollusk thing sounded a little shoggothy to me. Yeah. Yeah, to me too. Which I think is what it's supposed to reference. Yeah. Anyway, the painting is finished, but Edith is distracted. She's digging into this book collection herself now, and she's getting a little obsessed. It says the more fantastic, the more macabre the books and manuscripts were, the more absorbed she became in them. Edith had always been an impressionable person. So after some time passes, Miss Rhodes notices an odd sound, a subdued murmur, she calls it. Edith can't seem to hear it, so Miss Rhodes decides that she's going to see a doctor about it. He can't find anything wrong with her, so he gives her a mild sedative. He thinks it might be psycho somatic she describes the sound as a low throbbing as if well as if a large hollow shell were placed against the ear and held there <laughs> mm. which is cool and yet still yeah. made me laugh at the same time as time passes edith begins to get restless and sleepwalk she had seen edith walk slowly stiffly past and with robot-like movements to send the staircase to the ground floor so that's a clue that there might be robots doing all of this <laughs> i think it's a clue so one night, Miss Rhodes hears Edith down in the library and goes to check on her. She wants to wake her, but then, of course, she's heard this thing about waking a sleepwalking person is bad for yeah, them. They'll but explode. she decides to do it anyway and gets her to go back upstairs and go to bed. But for some reason, this event stops the sound that Miss Rhodes has been hearing. Also, uh, as if by magic, Edith roused herself from the mood which had gripped her since coming to this house. Yet deep within Miss Rhodes was the conviction that it was the pause before the storm. So waking her up seems to have brought everything to a halt. A few days later, Miss Rhodes is painting a still and Edith is writing some letters in the other room. Miss Rhodes notices that the house is eerily quiet, like no sound. Usually there's these background sounds that are happening, but there's nothing. So she calls out to Edith, but she doesn't get an answer. She goes to the library and the door is locked. 
Edith doesn't answer when she calls out to her. So she goes, gets the master key, unlocks the door, and goes inside. At first glance, she thought the room was empty. Her eyes lowered to the floor, and she advanced several steps. For a long moment, she stood there, looking down. A dribble of saliva ran from a corner of her mouth. Then she turned very quietly and left the room. The rain, coming down harder, wrapped itself about her as she went out the door and down the outside steps to the street. She moved into Basil Street and followed Basil into Walton, threading her way blindly through the night traffic, unaware of her surroundings, not knowing where she was or where she was going. She entered Pont Street, and as she went on, she saw again in her mind's eye what she had seen in the library. The sight which would live forever in her memory. The body of Edith Hablin lying limp on the floor. A body that was all but unrecognizable because the head and face had been partially devoured. And the aquarium that no longer showed a milky gray solution was now a sickening pink. And most hideous of all, the marks on the floor, the still wet red convolutions extending from the aquarium to the body of Edith Hablin and from there back to the tank again. Marks that might have been made by some crawling thing, satiated and slobbered with blood. She suddenly stopped, threw back her head, and screamed. And that's the end of the story. That's so cool, it's almost like a story prompt or something. You tell me what happened next. And also because we get that kind of foggy ending a lot in the Lovecraftian milieu where the, the something horrific will happen and they'll say, before they tell you what it is, just as mm-hmm. happens here, I don't know what happened. I was wandering and they found me and I woke up two days later with brain fever or whatever. Yeah. But this it's rarely actually dramatized as it is mm-hmm. here. You know, It yeah. tells you what streets she's walking down, what's going on, and then she screams over i mean what else is there to say and i think that's a really interesting interesting way to treat it i like yeah it reminds me a little of terror from the depths at the end of it remember he what what came up from the ground Mm -hmm. bit his face off and that similar type of thing but what do you think happened here well it sounds like something that was in the tank came out and munched her it's almost like that octopus story you always hear about the octopus coming out of the aquarium and eating the fishes and then going back but what do you think these i mean are what's in the aquarium do you think a shoggoth it leaves it really open because like why was she kind of sleepwalking what was going on with that what happened to the the cat supposedly something was supposed to be able to change shape or form so i was here i was expecting that somebody would get replaced or get invasion of the body snatcher yeah but i think it's actually kind of i mean i was making a joke about the bringing the shells home and they rob your house but it it almost might be something like that because whatever organism he's talking about let's say shagoth it says it can change into whatever typically if you get a shell it's the remnant of a living thing Mm -hmm. but if they can turn into the shells Oh, right, yeah. They can get collected and brought into society and traded around and, you know. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, I have seashells in the house right now I'm going to be looking at with a suspicious eye. <laughs> I, I really like it in these stories where there's mystery, where the, everything is not explained. And I was really surprised when it ended. Yeah. I turned the page and went, that's it? I think because there was things that were alluded to, like the shape-shifting creature that really doesn't pay off. Right. And I think some people could be annoyed by that, but I liked it because it made me think other things were going to happen that didn't happen. And that was okay. Because I like to be surprised. Sure. Especially we've been reading these things for 
well, a, a long period of our life, but deeply studying them for the last 10, <laughs> almost 11 years. And I'm getting a little, I've seen a lot. Yeah, yeah. The template is pretty, especially when we do these Lovecraftian stories and they hew really close to the template. It, it yeah. can get annoying. And so when I flipped through this anthology, this was the first one that jumped out at me as being somewhat different. Just in writing style, the fact that it's two female characters. Mm-hmm. It was very brisk. So I knew I wanted to do this one. Yeah. Whereas the others immediately were like, he was a weird artist that nobody understood who had a right? big library with lots of weird books on it and blah, blah, blah. And this one, this one was pretty interesting. And I love the idea of, of just an aquarium is such a mysterious thing. What's in there? You know, if you've ever seen an old aquarium in a house, mm-hmm. it's not being cared for anymore. It's a pretty yep. disgusting site. So that was really cool. I've had friends that have had old aquariums that mm-hmm. still had fish in them that were alive, surprisingly. <laughs> yeah. You're like, how are they still alive in there? But also with the shape-shifting thing, I'm presenting a lame theory that these things are turning themselves into shells. We might not know. At the end, Miss Rhodes actually might be one of these things. It says she's remembering Edith's body, but if the thing has reconstructed her, she might have memories. You know, so I, I, I don't know. I thought at the end when it screamed, what if it screamed because it was one of the monsters? It was like, yeah, I'm out, yeah. baby. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So the shape-shifting could have happened in such a way that we're just not privy to. It's a third-person narrator, but we mm-hmm. don't know if it's omniscient or not. Yeah. I, in fact, we know it's not omniscient because it relies on things that Miss Rhodes said for information. Mm-hmm. So it's a third-person but not omniscient. And so, yeah, anything could be happening. Which is fascinating. I want to thank our reader once again, Heather Clinky, for doing such a good job as always. She is such a gem. God bless it's her. true. She's truly outrageous. And <laughs> I also want to thank uh, some of our patrons. And I'm going to start by thanking Mark V. Pelham. Thank you, Nathaniel. I'd like to thank Colin Bartoldis. Andrew Prey, thank you so much. Kalich26, thank you 26 times over. Adrian Gunter, thank you. Lord Sphenoid, I praise you. <laughs> I want to thank Matt Willing. I want to thank Mike Healy. And lastly, I'd like to thank Stephen. Thank you all so much. Again, without your support, we would not keep doing the show. That's correct. And don't forget to go hit up Crypto Curium and support them. Buy some cool sculptures. And, uh, you know, if Jason's getting enough business over there from us, I feel like he could make maybe a ghost of a werewolf for us. Maybe some toys specific Ooh. to the show. Ooh. But we got to throw him some business. So, so that is too terrifying. A ghost it of is. a werewolf oh, is not yeah, something I, I want to see manifested in a sculpture. Oh, really? No, my God! You'd How would I sleep again? Oh, we got to get this thing made now. I want, I oh. want to, I want to see this fear reaction. I want to drive Blackie to grayness like me. Try madness. <laughs> That's what would ha- I see that, and then it would be you doing the podcast and me in an institution. Yes, just quietly sitting on the other end of the microphone. The way? Oh, you still get a microphone in there? Oh yeah. <laughs> well, it's still part of the podcast. Obviously, institutions aren't free. <laughs> That's true. I mean, I wouldn't say anything and I wouldn't contribute in any way, but I'd be there. You could hear me breathing and maybe gibbering occasionally. Mm. Well, if people would like to hear that show format, <laughs> go over to Crypto Curium and pick some stuff up. It's a very clear chain of events that's going to happen because you bought that, you know, leprechaun doll. <laughs> Buy a leprechaun and institutionalize lackey. I don't think... That we can come up with a much better sales pitch than that. I also want to thank folks who picked up the PBM album. It's still available. It's an inexhaustible digital resource. Please go pick one up. And uh, next week, we're going to be doing another Lovecraft deal of some kind. We don't know exactly what it is yet, but uh, we'll put it up on the social media and on our show notes. And uh, that's all we have for this week. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. I'm Chris Lackey, and you've been listening to the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. At hppodcraft.com. hppodcraft.com. HP Podcraft.com.